Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast with Ian and Daigsy. Gentlemen, how are we this morning? Doing fantastic, man. Thanks for asking. Daigle, I need to apologize to you. What happened? Um, so last week, and really like the last couple weeks, I've been poking little jabs at, you know, your hurt shoulder, your yeah, hurt back, your hurt neck, and all that kind of stuff. Well, this morning, just like every other person in the world, you got I was trying to put my pants on one leg at a time and tweak my back. Lower back, not fun, not happening right now in a positive way. I have some extra painkillers. I mean, it, it was a very embarrassing moment. You guys both got to learn the difference between being hurt and injured. Well, that's true. But at some point when you get hurt, it's basically an injury no matter what because also, your recovery time takes a lot longer. Also, he's very confident right now. Like we, st- I know four or five years doesn't seem like much. I swear to you, you will go downhill <laughs> within those four or five years. You will wake up and not understand why something hurts. It just hurts because that four or five years, that's it. Okay. I, I play tennis on Friday, and then my toes hurt all day Saturday. My toes. I don't see you. We don't see you at all over the weekend. We're convinced because sometimes we'll yeah, go I'm out with each other. We're convinced that you live a double life. We're not sure what it is just yet. Could be a tennis pro. I, like, I yeah, we like think it. you have something else going on behind the scenes. Are these what, this is what we talk conversations about. <laughs> you have during awful Thursday night football performance? Uh, yeah, that yeah. and... So what are the theories? I don't have a theory on that, but I want to change the subject to the fact that Daigle claims he's never burped in his entire life. It's not this, a claim. This th- was another okay, so this is a conversation on Thursday, yeah. It's not a claim. I wasn't burped as a child, and thus I cannot burp and have never burped in my entire that life. That can't be the scientific, like. Uh, okay, so maybe that's just the generic of what I think is happening, but no, I have never burped in my life, and I cannot burp. And so when I go out, I drink a lot of wine or Jameson or whatever. Like, I don't drink beer because okay. I, fo- I get full. Not to, I'm sure this is why everyone's tuning in and listening. I'm sure, But let's yes. break it down a little bit. Have you confronted your parents about never being burped as a child? Yes, a long time ago. Okay. Because I realized and it wasn't normal like a 15 or 16. Are you an anti-burp household? No, I don't think so. Well, you told me before the show, you were like, no, I used to be the same way. <laughs> you should just try. And I was like, no, that's called vomiting. Trying to burp leads to other things. All right. Well, maybe this is like a side video that we have, a side project. I'm there. fine keeping Alka-Sales restocked in the meantime. I'm more okay. worried about this than your back injury. <laughs> I'm glad, I promise you my regurgitating or whatever is just fine. <sighs> I am a healthy human being outside of potential shoulder surgery in the offseason. It's, it's a natural bodily function. I've been in Stanford for two months, and this is what's happening right now. Want to get into football? 
Yeah, Let's people are here for football, not my weird body. So as you all know, it's the Big Picture podcast, and it's already begun and a scorching <laughs> With the big start. picture of life. And <laughs> so we'll get into some of those big questions, those big topics in the middle of this episode. Uh, later on, John Daigle with his waiver column will skim the surface. And then also he has the full column up on Roto World right now. Um, but let's start off with some news because there's been some news since these Sunday games. And let's start off with J.J. Watt, the former All-Pro Defensive Player of the Year, is out for the season with a torn peck for the Houston Texans. Dangle, this means that J.J. Watt has ended the last three of four seasons mm -hmm. on injured reserve. Now, the Texans aren't known for their defense, but he, to me, watching it, has been playing like one of the best seasons he's had in a very long time, and now it's over. Correct, and unlike previous years where they could just rely on Jadavian Clowney, like who do they have behind J.J. Watt now? Uh, Omenihu, have you ever heard of him? Charles Omenihu. Omenihu, yes, thank you. to Texas. <laughs> okay, uh, he played 39% of their snaps yesterday, and then also uh, Blackson and Watkins came in and filled in. But other than that, like there is no stud defensive end that this team used to rely on behind him. Yeah, I mean, we can see Whitney Merciless maybe take a step forward, but there's not the clowny waiting in the wings to be a complete game-breaker. I mean, look, they already were at such a bad spot in their secondary that they felt they oh. need to trade for Gary on Conley, which, you know, how many, I don't know, next time they're going to have a draft pick within the first 100 picks uh, in these next few years. But secondary is already a disaster, and now you just took away their only source of pass rush in the yep. defensive line. So if you weren't already firing up everyone against the Texans, like, what else do you need now? It was already a bottom half of the league defense with Watt playing incredibly with well. With starters. Right, and as you talked about with the secondary, so often the front is kind of what masks and kind of gives that secondary hope, and that's pretty much gone right now. And the, the Texans are about to enter this very difficult streak of facing the Jaguars, the Ravens, the Colts, the Patriots. It's a situation where, you know, I think on paper, how the Texans were going to win football games was ha make those three, four, five big plays in every single game. Somewhat like the Chiefs last year, and they're very capable of doing that with Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins and whoever else at wide receiver. But then hope and pray that you get those one or two big plays on defense as well. And J.J. Watt was probably the likeliest candidate to supply those. And I wonder if they have anyone, as you talked about and you both did, if they have anyone that can take that mantle and take that role to create those fumbles or fourth down stops or interceptions. And I don't think they do. I, I don't, don't want to exaggerate here a little bit too much, but I do wonder if this really does take them out of championship contention. It was a, it was a difficult path to get there no matter what, but I, how good other teams are in the AFC. I mean, you could kind of picture the Patriots putting maybe a couple of series together where the Texans could topple them. And I don't know if they can do that now. I mean, you saw what it took. It took Watson to having one eye and throwing a miraculous touchdown and then somehow escaping and throwing a uh, diving catch to Darren Fells in his vicinity to end the game. Um, this I mean, if they are playoff contenders, it's going to be a Thursday wildcard game no matter what. But if they are playoff actual contenders, then it – comes down to Watson and that's it anyhow because as we know like the secondary not only like we said bad starters but just completely banged up they lost three corners yesterday it's insane JJ Watt retires tomorrow first ballot Hall of Famer yeah yes absolutely only guy ever with 20 sacks in multiple seasons when so. healthy and it's unfortunate it hasn't been the case last three years or four years or so but when healthy one of the most dominant players I've ever watched like yeah. it is insane how good he is yeah and who knows I this could come back to bite me but I think that they still can be a playoff team I still think that they can win the first round. 
when, whenever they run into the top, top elite teams of the AFC, they just don't have enough Watson, on both it, sides yeah. of the ball. All right, let's go to the other big news item. I guess it's big, quote unquote big. Yeah. Kenyon Drake getting traded to let's the go. Arizona Pretty Cardinals. Let's go. Pretty big. Give the guy the a, ball. For a conditional fifth round pick that could be a sixth round pick. Who knows what the terms are in that deal. All right. Um, in first, when I saw this deal, I thought, okay, why is a three, four, and one team trading for a running back? Then I remembered that the NFL draft is basically four rounds long, uh, and that fifth through seventh rounders are turned over each and every year. They're basically priority free agents. But to more than importantly than anything, this really speaks to how possibly injured David Johnson and Chase Edmonds are. Yeah, I mean, so we know David Johnson's most likely reportedly going to be out Thursday night against the 49ers. Chase Edmonds' hamstring, I mean, did not look good when it happened, did not look good when he was limping off the field after the game. I tend to think Edmonds is the one looking at a potential longer absence. That's just speculation, but uh, like you said, the fact they didn't have to give up a top three-round pick like the Texans did for Duke Johnson earlier in the year, I think – like, why not go get this guy? Because every time Drake has gotten the ball, like, he's been one of the more efficient backs in the league. I mean, one of my favorite stats with this guy is, like, his 2017 season, yep. he set PFF's, like, second all-time best yards after contact, uh, just mm. average. I mean, him and Duke Johnson, I think, are both just so misunderstood. They've been typecasted as these scat backs throughout their career. But if you just watch them run, like, they break tackles like no other. Maybe, you know, you don't want 20 carries up the middle, but no running backs really getting that type of workload these days. So, I'm very excited to see what Drake can do in this offense that doesn't have the best offensive line, but we've seen Kingsbury scheme as running backs in the open space, and throughout Drake's entire career, when he's in open space, he's a problem. The only thing for fantasy owners, it's like at a home poker game, and you're dealt ace-king, and then the dealer goes, oh, but we have dead cards now, duds. I don't know if y'all play like this. But you flip over the next card, and it's a king on top of the deck. So, oh, one of your cards is dead. Like, fantasy players handcuffed David Johnson right. with this stud player who's been great the past month of the season. And now one of these players is perhaps done. Um, I would imagine they do not trade for Kenyon Drake just for his talent. They do it because someone is looking at a long absence, perhaps the rest of the year, and we don't know if it's David Johnson or Chase Edmonds, and we won't know probably until next Monday. And David Johnson has already been ruled out for Thursday Night Football. Yep. Chase Edmonds, Cliff Kingsbury said it's a big concern that he won't play in Week 9 against the San Francisco Can you Warriors. imagine if we ex escape the David Johnson active but Chase Edmonds playing and then we get Chase Edmonds active <laughs> and Kenyon Drake plays all the snaps? It's possible. I, I don't know how easy the transition is from running back to team to team to team. I mean, we do see running backs come into the league and maybe – um, perform at their position much higher than other rookies at other positions. What Cliff Kingsbury has done better than anything else is get this running game going. Be very difficult on a Thursday night football matchup against the San Francisco 49ers to get that going. Daigle, I know that Kenan Drake was recently dropped in a league that I am in. Mm -hmm. Is this a situation where you would go out and spend the number one priority on him this week? Don't yeah, so spot. I don't know if we should expect that a spectacular 2017. Like this year he's broken 14 tackles on a – Nice 69 touches. But other than that, um, it just comes down to its best-case scenario for his outlook in this offense. Like, imagine if he got thrusted into that four-headed timeshare in Detroit. It would have been a disaster. Nightmare. Because they probably would have just used five running backs instead. But now we can safely say he'll probably work as, at least for one week, and it's a disastrous matchup against San Francisco on Thursday, but he'll be ahead of Zach Zinner. He's going to get all the work in that game, most likely. Um, and then if he's just in a two-headed backfield with either David Johnson or Chase Edmonds moving forward, that's 
that's also a pretty good scenario considering how much this offense uses their running back in the passing game. Yeah, we'll see if Alfred Morris is active this time around, but yeah, I don't think either Zenner or Morris is going to get anything there. After Edmonds left, I mean, Christian Kirk had one rush attempt. Zenner had one rush attempt. So I think they're fine. They traded for Drake. Obviously, they like him. Other than that, they're fine doing these short screens to their wide receivers yeah. and stuff anyway. It is the final year of Kenyon Drake's deal. It'll be interesting to see if they try to work out a longer-term deal, which I don't know if that would happen because then that's basically saying, hey, we have three people yeah. in our backfield. If at all this does become a David Johnson is healthy, Chase Edmonds is healthy, Kenyon Drake is healthy at some because there's half the season to go. Yeah. That will be a wild dynamic to pay attention to as well once we go throughout the season. And frustrating. All right, big picture part of this episode. Um, Dave, <clears throat> want to kick it off to you first? Yeah, we come on this show throughout the weeks and we talk about like the best offenses in the league and we've talked about the Ravens and we've talked about the Chiefs and we've talked about the Seahawks most recently. So it just seems unfair to not come on this show on Monday and talk about the Packers offense, mm -hmm. which in the past two weeks has just absolutely clicked. Aaron Rodgers in particular, 75% completion rate, 734 yards, eight touchdowns in that span. Um, yes, it has come against the Raiders and the Chiefs defenses, but one, the Chiefs kept that game competitive, unlike what you thought, Josh. Uh, that entire time. They won by over the spread. No. Okay. More than the spread. But the they spread were, it was, was a competitive game script I, the entire time. about it. They had competitive games either way, and now we have Rodgers who has thrown back-to-back 300-yard -back games. The offense has, is using Aaron Jones, like Dan Orlovsky said on Twitter, as if he's Todd Gurley. Mm -hmm. uh, he's averaging over five targets per game this year. Um, Tony Romo said on CBS just last week that – and now I can't watch a third down red zone or two-minute drill without thinking of this, that basically Matt Forehanders handles first and second down, and Rodgers then compliments him and handles everything else because that's what he's uncomfortable giving to LaFleur. Um, so it's like a begrudging marriage that's happening right now, but it's beautiful. And the thing is, and we say it in the office time and time again, winning heals all. And right now as they are winning, as they look like the best offense in the league arguably, uh, everything is going tremendously yeah whatever they're doing it's working absolutely brilliantly I mean we're seeing Rodgers over nine yard adjusted yards per attempt right now I mean that's what he was at from 2009 to 2014 when he was just that consistent world beater in the prime of his career I didn't know if we'd ever see that guy again because right. from 2015 to 2018 like there'd be flashes you know big moments in uh, big games and everything but you know he was still more around that eight adjusted yards per attempt we saw him have the same receivers every year the same scheme every year and through two weeks of this season, it kind of looked like that's what we were going through. All without again. Devontae Adams, too. Exactly. But uh, first two weeks of the season, I mean, I, for one, didn't see this coming because, you know, they scored 10 points against the Bears, 21 points against the Vikings. Right. Should have, I think, in retrospect, acknowledged it's going to take them a little time to gel. Uh, Should have acknowledged that, okay, this is Aaron Rodgers. You know, he can still turn it back on again. But, yeah, I think now we – it's hard to consider them anything but a top three or five offense well, in the league. And they've done it with a four-man rotation at wide receiver, a bunch of nobodies. I mean, Devontae Adams hasn't even been a part of this. Alan Lazard, Jake Kumaro, Geronimo Allison, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Kind of to your point, Ian, it does speak to a theory that I've consistently held for a long time, that what happens in week five really doesn't matter once you get to week 12. Like, this, the season is basically broken up into four four-game seasons, four-game sections. And while teams can struggle early on, um, then by week 12, none of us look back to what happened in week three for a team. I, I, and I, even more so, we don't go back to what happened this summer when there was that whole question and 
narrative of, oh, these two guys aren't going to get along. Matt Ford didn't have an identity, and I was the one that spoke about that forever with the Tennessee Titans. Well, when you have someone like Aaron Rodgers who can completely elevate all the talent around mm -hmm. him, that's a big freaking deal. Okay, so you mentioned the Packers offense. There are a bunch of really good offenses in the NFL right now. When we mm -hmm. talk about the Texans, even though they can be a bit up and down depending on how many plays Deshaun Watson can make in a given game, 49ers offense put up ridiculous points, ridiculous yards, especially in the running game. Dallas's offense, I still think, is being a bit overlooked. Sure. The Chiefs, when Patrick Mahomes <clears throat> gets back, the Saints rebounded with Drew Brees. Seattle, Minnesota's been great. I mean, these are all offenses that are very, very talented. Are you saying that you believe the Packers are the most consistent of that group right now? I'm not saying that. I think they are. I think it's what's most fun about them is that, as you said, we the week, first five weeks don't matter. And in the first month of the season, what we saw was a struggling Vikings and Packers offense that slowly had to adjust to their coordinators. Yeah. And now we have seen the worst and what is currently peaking for both. And I'm, I don't know if I'm saying it. I just think it's fun. I think it's fun because okay. I know you asked me in the office beforehand, you're like, Dago, what, what's this Packers question? I don't know. I just want to talk about the Packers offense, guys. <laughs> like, it's a lot of fun to watch. If you do want to turn it to a question, though, Aaron Jones now is the running back three on the year, the entire year. Hmm. So let's say you still take McCaffrey rest of season, right? Yes. You still take Dalvin Cook rest of season, right? Yes. Who do you take after that? Zeke. Zeke, rest of season, even though his yes. passing game work is, do you take Saquon rest of season? Yeah, because look, I mean, Aaron Jones, is he leads the Packers in targets right now. Mm -hmm. He is the only running back in the league that leads their, his team in targets. I think it's just because Devontae Adams is gone. I mean, they've had these no-name wide receivers, mm -hmm. like you said, so what are they doing? They're focusing more on the guys they know. And Jones is balling out with it, nothing against him. I mean, right. he, that sluggo he ran last night, I mean, if you put a linebacker on the guy, like it's a death sentence pretty much, and I don't think they're going to completely, even once Adams is back, they're going to keep throwing the ball, obviously not saying that, but this is still a two-headed backfield. I mean, Jamal Williams... We've only seen Aaron Jones play at most 61% snaps when Jamal Williams has been healthy. He's been insanely efficient because he's a great player. Not saying that can't keep continuing, but when we're talking about Jones having between 12 to 16 touches per game versus guys we know are getting 20-plus, I'll just take the extra opportunity. Fair. And we also saw Jamal Williams get involved in the red zone and a passing touchdown. That throw from Rodgers was, was unbelievable. Was I think that's what, what I sent the email last night. I saw that throw falling down. It's like, okay, we're talking about Rodgers in some fashion tomorrow. You know who also had a fantastic day at the running back position yesterday? That was Tevin Coleman. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. why is that? A lot of what Kyle Shanahan is doing. And, Ian, I know that brings us to a topic you wanted to cover. So, my question is, we all know quarterback is the most important position in football. If there is a league-wide fantasy draft, Patrick Mahomes would go number one. Probably a bunch of other quarterbacks would go to the next 20 picks. But, excluding the quarterback position, would you rather start your franchise with an ace play caller like Kyle Shanahan? If you want to pick Sean McVay, go ahead. One of those guys. That's not here, so that's not going to happen. <laughs> One of these ace play callers or literally any player at any other non-quarterback position. And I don't think this is just focused solely on Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay. I would do the exact same thing with Sean Payton. I yeah. would do the exact mm. same thing with Bill Belichick. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I was looking at this, right? You look at some of the best talents at their position outside of the quarterback. Uh, Odell Beckham is stuck with, right now, a very much struggling head coach in Freddie Kitchens, and he's a non-factor. In a right. lot of games, you could say the same thing about Miles Garrett. Uh, he's an unreal talent at his position, stuck with a, a same who continues getting coached wrong yeah. head coach and defensive coordinator. And 
you know, his impact is lessened from that. You can keep going with Julio Jones and Dan Quinn, so on and so forth. Packaging a offensive play caller who does not have to be tied to a top 10 quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo in Kyle Shanahan's case, it, it makes him elevate the entire unit, the entire offense, because it's not like this is a perfectly constructed offense from a non-injured standpoint like Sean McVay's had in the last two years. The 49ers have dealt with injuries, and you would not even think that they have worsened or lessened in any spot so far this year. Yeah, it's ridiculous. The fact they put up 51 points without left tackle Joe Staley. Against a very right good defense. Mike yeah, I mean, it's set up well for them, just Panthers not being great against the run. But, you know, I, at the, for me, I think the play caller would be my third choice because I still think a guy like Aaron Donald, Von Miller, I just think the fact they can disrupt quarterbacks and they can kind of be the person that stops that combination from happening. Because I do think uh, kind of getting pressure at the line of scrimmage is a little bit more important than coverage in the back end. You know, I know it's still kind of a debate, but my only problem is, like, even with these best play callers, like Shanahan, he's now had 12 years as an offensive coordinator head coach. Mm -hmm. He's finished outside the top 20 scoring offenses in seven of those years. We've seen years like this. We've seen the Matt Ryan 2016, the RG3 year. The highs are incredible, but – not always consistent. I still think at the end of the day, it's more about your Jimmy's and Joe's and your ex's nose. And while really? it's close and while it does, you know, when everything's going great, it's easy to say, oh, my gosh, you know, here's another, what, f five screens yesterday or something that were just, again, wonderfully designed. Like, it's very easy to watch it and say, wow, like, that play caller is incredible. But when you take away the good offensive line, which, again, I know he's not had the whole time, but at the end of the day, I still do think it's the guys in the interior after the quarterback that make the biggest difference. Uh, I just – pick the guy who trickles down the infrastructure as a whole, and it's Belichick. To me, that's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, Aaron Donald's so impactful, I understand. Even though if we are just saying only a position, I take safety first over any uh, trenches. But Really? Yes. The only thing like is – which We'll see. That's when you tell like a middle of the field. That's the when you tell me so just Earl Thomas in his prime and Edwin yeah. When you prime, tell me what it. when you tell me what player it's like. I was thinking of safety. Is like who would I Malik Hooker or Kevin Biard something no. like that. So no, I wouldn't <laughs> do that over Aaron Donald. But if we had someone who was a clear like first ballot pro Hall of Famer in playing safety in his prime right now, I would take a safety in an instant. Mm. I think that's the most huh. impactful position on the field. Huh. especially in today's NFL. But otherwise, I'm taking Belichick, the guy who just won 300 games, and it starts because everything he impacts everything around him. He makes decisions for everything around him. I, Daniels I was included. kind of excluding Belichick a little okay, bit, even, even though I didn't make that clear at all. Okay. <laughs> and I'm trying to read between the lines here a little bit and tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Do you have some concerns about the 49ers? No. If I they can sustain this? No, I think they're fine. We talked about this a little bit yesterday on the uh, review pod. I mean, I think Jimmy Garoppolo can actually be better than he's been so far. They just haven't needed him to be good. Like, yeah. he doesn't need to create off script. It doesn't mean he necessarily can't. He did have the nice off script play yesterday. He took a nice hit, got the Kittle down the seam. I'm just saying, like, Shanahan's this is the third year now with the team. Like, it wasn't like they were just world beaters the last two years as well. Not saying Shanahan wasn't still doing a good job then, but – you know, we've seen that with McVay a little bit this year. He looked like he was going to be completely unstoppable for the next 15 years, the last two seasons. Well, you take away the league's best offensive line, all of a sudden Sean McVay's offense isn't quite Hey, he won some games with C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins. That's pretty <laughs> difficult to do. We True will fans. hit on every single team, actually, on Wednesday's podcast, a midseason review. Who are the contenders? Who are the not contenders? It should be a really, really fun episode as we hit midweek. Daigle, should we hit on some waivers? Why not? Let's do it. Let's start off <laughs> with Josh Reynolds. 
Eight targets, three receptions, 73 yards, and a touchdown for the L.A. Rams over in London, which I still don't think that game was actually played. Uh, he stepped in and saw more playing time when Brandon Cooks went down with another concussion-like symptom hit. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to call it anything more than that right now. Um, so what do we think about Josh Reynolds in this passing offense and kind of the pecking order where he's sitting? So the Rams hit their bye this week. That's the holdout on spending too much fab on Josh Reynolds. But he did play 89% of the snaps, as you said, when Cooks got out. And that's Cooks' fourth concussion in less than two years now. Um, it should hold him out for an extended period of time. The thing is, somehow, some way, he's always returned quickly from his concussions. And as I've seen this year. And I fear that they're just going to do it again in two weeks. Um, so, yeah, who knows? But if we get word, we're going to get news by the time this hits. So if we get word that perhaps this lingers on and they do want to hold him out for an extended period, Josh Reynolds, yes, I believe he's the number three receiver. The thing is, and you have to ask yourself, last year whenever Josh Reynolds played a majority of their snaps in this very role without Cooper Cup, they instead went to 12 personnel. And this was also without Todd Gurley, a reminder. Um, they had C.J. Anderson, and so they decided to so switch. So they were better. Yes, but they, <laughs> They decided to switch because their 11 personnel was basically ineffective without, without Gurley on the field. So they went to 12 personnel, ran heavily with C.J. Anderson. If they do that again, that does take Josh Reynolds off the field for closer to 60 to 65% of snaps. I don't think we're going to see the Brandon Cooks, you know, potential wide receiver one weeks with the kind of – even his, his floor was never like that low, maybe like wide receiver 30 range. Ceiling got taken away with Gerald Everett too. True, but I'm just saying, like, in those eight games Reynolds had last year, we saw him finish as the wide receiver 8, wide receiver 13, wide receiver 15, wide receiver 25, and then four games outside the top 60. So he's going to be pretty touchdown dependent. It's not the same Rams offense from last year where Goff was looking like mm -hmm. one of the better quarterbacks in the league week to week. And I do agree with you that we're probably going to see a little more Gerald ever than anything. With that said, they really haven't been throwing the ball to Gurley much this year anyway. So maybe he could be that number four option behind Everett, Woods, and um, Cup. But he's going to be a thin play. I think you're only really going to start him if like, you really need help on a bye week. By the way, Gurley returns to 65% of the snaps. Was that yesterday a fluke? Yesterday, yeah, yesterday was absolutely a fluke. Ten of Henderson's 13 touches came after they got out 14. Two scores, yep. Gurley had the pitch into the end zone and then did not play a snap afterwards. Yep. So, I agree. Yeah, Daryl Henderson actually had more touches in that game. Than I'm saying that's a girl. fluke. I know. I'm just yeah. telling <laughs> no, people that's out what, there. No, I, I wanted to tell fluke, the people, people, too, because I knew Ian had an opinion, so I wanted to tell the people, too. I appreciate it. We have to talk about that game on the review pod if you want to go back and listen to that. All right, next <laughs> name was Chris Conley, the wide receiver with Jacksonville Jaguars. Seven targets, four receptions, 103 yards, and one score. I believe he had a big play last week that really padded his stats. Uh, yeah, 70-yard touchdown. But the thing is, with D.D. Westbrook banged up from the shoulder injury the past two weeks, Chris Conley has now seen eight targets uh, two weeks ago and seven targets last week or yesterday. And so, with Marquise Lee leaving early with a shoulder injury in week eight as well, this essentially makes it to be three wide sets, Keelan Cole, Chris Conley, and DJ Shark. Uh, and Chris Conley is more of a deep threat, much like DJ Shark is, but Chris Conley will be in on what we can project around 80% of the snaps, if not over, and be the number two wide receiver. And going against the Texans this week, who just lost, who may be without their three starting corners in Jonathan Joseph, Lonnie Johnson, and Bradley Roby, may be forced to start Gary on Conley again, who's just awful. Uh, it's a tremendous matchup. Yeah, and we've seen Gardner Minshew at this point enable multiple fantasy-relevant receivers. I mean, it was D.D. Westbrook these last few weeks before he got hurt. And, I mean, this season, 
Chark has 61 targets, Didi has 55, Fournette has 45, and Conley hasn't been that far behind at 39 targets. I mean, those have kind of been their big four guys. I think Chark and Conley work well ahead of Keelan Cole in these three wide receiver sets moving forward. And, yeah, man, I mean, Minshew, 30-plus attempts and all but one start, and he had 29 then, multiple touchdowns in five games. Like, Gardner is balling out, and he's getting a lot of different guys involved. I don't see why Conley can't be one of those guys in a good matchup. Next, Darren Fells at the tight end position uh, went off this past weekend. Six targets, six catches, 58 yards, and two scores. Again, talked about this on the previous podcast, but Darren Fells has been someone who's been a blocking tight end, a nobody. Strictly a run-blocking tight end, that's it. Forever in his career. He's an ex-basketball guy too, right? Probably. He they plays all, tight end. They always are. The what, tight ends who catch red zone touchdowns are always Yeah, but usually they are also considered run blockers, I feel like. He's 33 years old? 33-year-old veteran yep. Darren Fells. Maybe that's when my breakout happens because it's certainly happening for Darren Fells. Now, he was a run blocker under Hugh Jackson. So let's take a – maybe yes. Hugh Jackson just didn't see that he was some kind of red zone Jimmy Graham. Hugh Jackson on Cameo, by the way. Really? Uh-huh. Please, my birthday, December 5th, please get that for <laughs> Please, that's all I want is Hugh Jackson to wish me well. Um, but no, the fact is Darren Fells now has two tight end one weeks and the past three weeks, I believe. He has five touchdowns on the year, two two touchdown performances. And just for a landscape, a position that is terrible, and as we say time and time again, week and week again, um, after tight end nine, you just drop off. It doesn't matter whatsoever. Dallas Goddard's now in that conversation. Um, Darren Fells is just a high upside guy. You start weekly. And without Will Fuller, I think this actually helps him quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, especially given the Kiki QT or DeAndre Carter fiasco that's going on right now. Um, Darren Fell has slowly slid in as a reliable tight end one who's, yes, floor is disastrous. Week seven, two catches for 27 yards, but it's still worth starting him for that touchdown equity. There's a change in usage last week, too, because normally it's been Fells and Jordan Aikens both playing like 60, 70 percent snap rates and we have seen Fells blow up but we've also seen Aikens get some scores last week Fells was in on 71 of Deshaun Watson's 79 snaps so nice if he's gonna play in every down roll and like you said it does seem like he can be the number three pass game option more weeks than not in this offense like yeah absolutely yeah the Texans for a while have spoken about wanting to get that interior passing game going they thought it would be Jordan Aikens and Kiki Cutie uh, I think Cutie had zero snaps played in yeah, this previous game. DeAndre, yeah. DeAndre Carter, DeAndre White? Don, DeAndre, Car- DeAndre Carter, okay. right? Yes. I think it's yes. DeAndre Carter. Yeah. DeAndre They're basically Carter. the same person. <laughs> yeah, he got all the sl- he got the slot work over QT so, without us knowing anything. God forbid we throw Duke Johnson the ball. <laughs> they did. He got a touchdown pass. Yeah, and then like probably had five touchdowns. And only had three, he only had three carries. Right. Jonu Smith filled in for an injured Delaney yeah, Walker. Did. And what he did was seven targets, six receptions, 78 yards, and a score, Dixie. Um, this is technically his first game without Delaney Walker. You know, Delaney Walker was absent last one, and Jonas Smith led the team um, in tar. No, he, he just stood out. I can't remember the exact numbers. Anyways, though, this one. He was up there. 43 of 59 snaps. Played 10 snaps in the slaughter out wide, and then also uh, six catches on seven targets. Led the Titans in targets, catches, scored a touchdown, one of Ryan Tannehill's three touchdowns on the day. As we know, he was a extru- – like a – a specimen, an athlete coming out of college. Right. Like, yes, he stood out in spark score. From? I don't know, actually. FIU. Oh. I expect you to know that. Well done. Um, but, yeah, and now he's just getting all the opportunity. Delaney Walker, a an aging veteran, like, we expect him to bounce. Like, you sh- 
We shouldn't expect. We should not expect him to bounce back from, you know, he dislocated his ankle last year, was questionable coming into the year, but proved to be healthy. And now it's already his second injury in eight weeks' time. Um, we should not expect him to be healthy moving forward. So I think Jonah Smith is a guy who can genuinely enter the top 12, 15 conversation at his position. And like I said, we're grasping for straws at tight end. Like after the first eight, you just want touchdown equity is all you're looking for. I'm pretty certain, too, Delaney Walker said, like, this is a re-aggravation of that same ankle that would not be good from last year, which obviously not good. But, no, I'm with you here. And uh, Jonah, freak athlete, and he's being used heavily in this offense. I mean, in the Ryan Tanner thrill era. Corey Davis, 17 targets. A.J. Brown, Humphrey at 14. And Jonah's right there at 11. So, big athletic guy. Even if he is, you know, number three to four option and run first offense, he's good enough that he can at least make those count. It is funny because, like, their yardage total from yesterday, it's, it's very pitiful. But it's hard to rack up yards whenever you start from inside the five on yeah, three of your true. touchdown drives. We opened this show with Kenyon Drake being traded. Let's close it with Probably the starting running back for the Miami Dolphins right now. We're recording this before Monday Night Football, so we haven't seen that thrilling matchup between the Dolphins and the Steelers. Uh, Mark Walton. Mark Walton, last time he was on the field, saw 15 touches. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I in no situation ever am going to start someone on the Dolphins in my fantasy football lineup after they have like the third or fourth option on the Chiefs, let's mm -hmm. say, than someone from the Dolphins. But I'm sure someone out there will want the volume that Mark Walton offers. Would you start Mark Walton? Well, not. this is not the good week to compare Mark Walton to Damian Williams because we got to wait on LaShawn McCoy's fumble fiasco. <sighs> but Mark Walton, yes, as you said, 15 touches. Out-touched Kenyon Drake, 15-9 in that last game before Miami hit the bye. And then the past three games, his snap rate has increased in every single game. Season high, 52% of the snaps. And basically the argument is, do you want a 16-20 to 20 touch running back who doesn't get goal line work? I mean, that's, that's the argument for picking up Mark Walton. But there are people, Josh, who will pick up Mark Walton. I started Daryl Henderson in like three different Keep leagues because we play in way too many leagues. <clears throat> and so in some leagues, I do need Mark Walton. There are desperate people out there. So, yes, Mark Walton is your 16 to 20 touch running back the rest of the year. Who's not going to score touchdowns. Who may not score touchdowns. Who knows? And the, the few times the Dolphins do happen to get inside the five-yard line, like, it is now Kalen Ballard. Balage, yeah. Balage. He is the – Or Ballard, I don't know. Whatever. Whatever his name is. He is the only true vulture in the league. That's infuriating. He's played, like, nine snaps over the last two weeks and has two goal line touchdowns in that span. I mean, look, most vultures are just – they don't exist anymore. It's just whatever running backs on the field, they get down inside the five-yard line, like, they keep going. That's not the case in Miami. Nope. Like, he is one of the actual true vultures. So, I, yeah. And has the best low-light reel in the entire league. If you want more of this wonderful list that John Daigle puts out for the waiver wire, Gollum, go and There's check that out on Roto World on Tuesday mornings. That does it for us. Again, we'll be back on Wednesday's episode to recap the first half of the season, look forward decide who are actually contenders for the Super Bowl, for playoff spots. Be a great, great episode. As always, thank you for joining us. Talk to you all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. 
If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.